Amen, amen. So what, what we're going to be studying tonight is the law, sin, and how it relates to a New Testament believer along with the Spirit of God. The, the, one of the most important things that we know as believers is that God does not like it when we sin. In fact, not only that, but we don't like it. You can see that from Adam. There's something inherently in us that when we're in sin, we pull back from God. We get that from Adam. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's a good quality in a ways because we're ashamed of what we've done wrong, but it's bad because God's the only one that can mend us when we're broken. And a lot of times, you know, if you've ever seen a dog with, with you know, like a, a thorn in its paw, right? It, 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 and you want to help the dog out, but the dog pulls back from you because it's hurting, and he pulls back. He don't want you to touch, but you're trying to get him. You're trying to fix him, right? That's how we do with God and sin. That's how we do. Whenever we mess up, we automatically just pull back a little bit from God, a little bit more and a little bit more. We get that from Adam. Adam did that in the Garden of Eden. But what we're going to look at tonight is how sin relates in the New Testament. Um, one of the most important things that we want to uh, do is rightly divide the Word of God. One of the things that uh, we even see in our little tagline for our Bible study is part of it. 2 Timothy 2.15 is we are called, called, this is not an option. If you're going to, unless you're going to be uh, moved by every wind of doctrine that comes your way through YouTube, Facebook, or some friend, or somebody knocking on your door, yeah, how many of you know that gets people? But if, if, you, if you will show yourself approved, be a workman that needs not be ashamed, and rightly divide the word of truth, then God will help you to stand strong. Amen? So one of the things that will happen is, as we're about to see, um, somebody could come along and tell you that um, you're still bound by the Old Testament law. So as we go through this, this is part of uh, what we're going to do. And the biggest shot that anybody will ever shoot at you in that regards is in this verse, which is 1 John chapter number 3 and beginning in verse number 4. So let's go ahead and read what they would say. It says, and the question would be, um, do you know what sin is? And all of us go, well, yeah, it's when you, you know, do wrong or something like that. The, the most common Christian expression of what is sin is missing the mark, which is a, you, everybody gets that from dictionaries like Strong's or some kind of concordance. But, but let's read what the Word of God says here in verse 4. It says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law for sin is the transgression of the law and so one of the things that you see here is the the word law now the part that we've got to understand is what is the bible talking about is there anything in this section of the bible contextually that's talking about the law of moses or is it a law given to man one of the things that you'll see as we get over into the New Covenant, into the New Testament, is that there are many laws. There are many laws. There, there's the law of Christ. There's the law of the Spirit. And, and there are different laws that are given unto us, and we've got to understand what that is. And so one of the things I want to point out, just first off and foremost, is this. This is not a dictionary. This is a Bible verse. 
So when the word of God here says that sin is also the transgression of the law, it means it's in addition to. It's not that, that the only thing that is sin is when you break the law of Moses. It's any sin also transgresses the law. That's the context. That's what he's talking about. Now, let's kind of dig in just a little bit deeper on what exactly we're looking at here. Um, just so you see in verse number five, it says, and you know that he, speaking of Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. So if you... If, if we are abiding in the vine, y'all remember John 15, right? If we are abiding in the vine and the vine and Jesus is abiding in us, he said that you'll bear much fruit. But what does it say here? You abide in him. He, he, there's no sin in him. So if we're walking in Christ and we're abiding in him, what does that mean? We're actively pursuing going deeper with him. Every single one of us is going forward or backwards. Come on, somebody. We're all either going forward or backward, and you and God are the only ones that know that. Now, we can make a determination. You know, we can kind of make a judgment and say, hey, you haven't been to church in three months. You know what's going on? We can kind of see you going downhill, but you know deep inside whether you're going closer to the Lord or further away. And, and, and it's, it's not a Bible verse. It's, it's a quote from me. But it says, you know, if, you, if you're not front sliding, you're backsliding. You, you, you know? And too many of us are teeter-tottering. Come on now. So whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth has not seen him, neither knows him. That's a pretty profound statement right there. That's pretty profound. But it, in, in what it means is this. When you're walking in Jesus, you're not going to walk in sin. If you say that the Spirit of God led you to rob a bank, we know you're a liar. If you say the Spirit of God led you to leave your spouse, right, so you could go off with the secretary, we know you're a liar, right? These kinds of things prove our actions because the Spirit of God will never lead us to sin. The Spirit of God, and if somebody's walking with the Lord, they're not going to walk in sin. But we want to identify tonight what sin is. So we saw here that, that sin is, is also transgression of the law. And to transgress the law means to go against it. It's to go around it or to come short of it, right? To go around it, to come short of it. it, it it's kind of like, you know, the, you, the Bible says in, um, in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and what? come short of the glory of God. They haven't actually attained it, and sometimes you can transgress the law by not doing what you're supposed to do. Sometimes we sin by doing what's wrong, but sometimes we sin by not doing anything at all, right? It's kind of like the, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. We see the, the two religious guys didn't do anything. They just kept going to church. They didn't, they didn't spit on the guy. They didn't kick him. They didn't hit him, but they ignored him. They ignored somebody that was down and out. And because of their inaction, it was accounted to them as sin. But the Good Samaritan, right, acted by the Spirit of the Lord and ministered to this person that was hurting and broken. That's one of the keys that we'll see is that the Spirit of God is going to be the one that leads us 
or it's going to be us leading us. And if we lead ourselves, we're going to lead ourselves in a ditch. But if we allow the Spirit of God to lead us, we're not going to have to worry about sin because we're going to be walking in the Spirit. You see, it's one of those two things that we're all walking in. We're either walking in the Spirit or we're walking in the flesh. And if we walk in the flesh, nothing we do is going to be pleasing in God's eyes. We're continually going to be coming up short. And it's, it, it, it's not going to be because of a lack of effort. It's because you can't please God when you're in the flesh. If you're in the flesh, you just cannot please God. It's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit within us causing us to do whatever it is. It, 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 you know, one of the sermons we just preached this past Sunday, if, if we go and we help some, you know, little old lady across the street with groceries and do this and do that, but we're not doing it by the Spirit of God, then it's a work of the flesh. But if we're doing it by the Spirit of God, then God has directed it and it's honoring God, amen? And it either is or it isn't a work of the Spirit. You can do many good things, but not in the Spirit. And you might say, I don't know about that. Okay, go back and look. Go back and look at the love chapter. Go back and look at the first verses of the love chapter. Remember the guy that gave all that he had? The guy that gave all that he had, even his life, even to be burned. He gave all that he had, but, he's, but they said it was nothing. Remember the sounding gong and the clanging cymbals? Those are works of the flesh in God's eyes. Anything that's done apart from charity, anything that's done apart from the love of God. And the word charity is powerful. We, we, we substitute it with love, but it's, it's the agape love. That's what charity is. It's, it's a love that comes from knowing God. It's when, God, when you know God, when you get so close to God that you see somebody broken, you can't not help them. When, when you get so close to God and you see somebody brokenhearted, when you see somebody down and out, you can't not help them. That's charity. That's, that comes from knowing God. And that's the God kind of love that we see in that chapter. Now, let's get back over here in, in, into sin. Um, one of the places I want to take you to is Romans chapter number five. So Romans chapter five is, is, is pretty important. Now, I'm, I'm going to cover a few. Uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of set up a, a little uh, parameter, I guess you could say, about the law here. One of the things about this, whenever you whenever you get involved with somebody who tells you that you're still bound by the law, they'll say that the Mosaic law or the Old Testament law always has been. It is, and it always will be. They'll say that, you know, heaven and earth will pass away, but his law, his word's going to stand forever. They're, they substitute the word law with the word word every time. The word Torah and the, and the word word, they, they interchange, but they're different words. So one of, the, one of the main reasons why I wanted to go through this is because I wanted to just kind of teach on the fact that we're not against the law, but when we're in the spirit, we're, we're on a higher level, Okay. I want you to see that tonight. So here's the thing about the law. Whenever somebody tells you that, they're going to tell you that um, without the law, right? Without, without the law, you wouldn't know what sin was. Amen? That's what they'll say. And they'll, they'll say, you know, all kinds of crazy things, but they'll try to bring you back under that Mosaic law. Well, one of the first responses that you'll say is something like, well, uh, Moses didn't come you know, till after Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, and then after they were in Egypt for all those years, then Moses came, and then the law came. 
But they'll say, yeah, but there was the law, it just wasn't in stone yet. Okay, well, that's not true. Obviously, that's not true. But I want you to see that there was law, there was sin, because if sin is transgression of the law, as we saw in 1 John 3, 4, what I want to show you tonight, though, is that that word law means going against anything that God says. If God tells you don't touch that chair, that's a law to you, not to touch the chair. If God tells you don't ever go to Burger King again, it's a law to you. You might say, well, that's legalism. No, that's the Lord doing something in you. That's the Lord teaching you something. The Lord may be all right with you going to McDonald's, but he might tell you never go to Burger King again. I don't know why. Every single one of us, every single one of us is accountable to the Lord to walk by the Spirit and to be obedient to his voice. There's times that, you know what, and, and I talk, this, this goes into a place called consecration and sanctification. One of the things about the Holy Spirit is he's holy, and everything he does is in an effort to produce holiness in your life so that you'll be pleasing in God's eyes. Everything about the Holy Spirit. Everybody wants to talk about the Holy Spirit, 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 but they forget the holy, holy, holy part. Everything about God's doing a work to produce and make us more holy. Well, what is holiness? Holiness is apart from sin. It's the opposite of sin. Holiness is what's pleasing in God's eyes. Holiness is what God is. Sin is what God hates. Holiness is what God is, and sin is what God hates. So when the Holy Spirit is leading us, he's going to lead us in sanctifying us. So there's times that, you know what, you may be able to sit on your couch and watch ball game after ball game after ball game. But me, on the other hand, I can't because the Holy Spirit will get on me. And you know what? It's a law to me because if I disobey it, I'm in sin. I'm, I'm disobeying what the Lord tells me to do. Everybody is accountable to God in those areas. And it's, it's how God grows us. It's how God prunes us. It's how God makes us stronger. And it's how God proves us. It's how God tries us is what Peter talks about. The trying of your faith. God wants to know if you're pursuing him, right, or not. And sometimes God will, God will put things before you. Look at Job's life. Look at Job's life. Nobody else had everything taken away from him like Job did. But, but in the process of that, God refined Job. God pure. Do you think, that he, you think that he came out on the other side weaker in faith or stronger in faith? When God did that work of restoration, that guy came out on that other side and he was able to sing with all his heart, blessed be the name of the Lord, right? He gives and he takes away, but still my heart will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, he wasn't just humming that. He sang that from the depth of his soul, amen? And that's what God will do on the other side of those issues. But let's kind of, let's get into this a little bit. Um, first, in Romans chapter number 5, let's go to verse number 12, because I want to show you that Adam did indeed sin in the garden. So we all agree that Adam was before Moses. We all agree Adam was before Moses. We all agree that Adam never saw the two tablets, the, the Ten Commandments. We all agree that Adam, you know, he, well, he may have went to Mount Sinai. We don't know that, but he didn't, he wasn't, he wasn't in that part of the Torah, right? We all agree with that. 
So let's read in verse number 12. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. Hold up. Sin, this is sin entering the world. When did sin enter into the world? Well, somebody that's trying to get you as a New Testament Christian back under the Old Testament law will tell you sin didn't exist until Mount Sinai, until the Torah came. Okay, that's the whole reason they start out with 1 John 3, 4. So I'm showing you right here, sin obviously, obviously existed before Moses, before the Torah. Watch this, verse 12. Wherefore is by one man sin entered in the world, dead by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, listen to this, until the law Sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. So there was sin. It, it, as, soon as, as soon as Adam sinned, there was sin in the world, everywhere. The only reason something dies is because it's been touched and tainted by sin. That's what, that's, you can deduce that from that verse right there. The only reason anything dies is because it's been touched with sin. There will be a day, and the Bible says all creation longs for that day when there will be no more sin, when there will be no more sickness, when there will be no more death, when there will be no more parting. But from this day to that day, all of creation longs and groans, and if the Spirit of God's in you, there should be a groaning in you as well that this is not how it's supposed to be, Right? And so the Bible's telling us here that, that, that um, before the law, there was sin. There was sin. But sin wasn't imputed until the law. That means sin, sin wasn't imputed. It, it, it means that nobody said you're a lawbreaker. Nobody said you're a lawbreaker. It was just that what we call a guilty conscience. A guilty conscience. Adam, whenever Adam sinned, and they made those fig leaves. And the Bible says that the voice of the Lord came down in the cool of the evening and walked with man. And he said, Adam, where are you? When Adam hid in those trees, it was because Adam was ashamed. He had a guilty conscience. Same thing as whenever you mess up. You get a guilty conscience. That's the same thing. We're in that same area. Watch this. Um, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Listen to this. Nevertheless, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure that was to come. Now, why, why is this important? Because I want you to see beyond a shadow of a doubt, Adam and sin had a relationship. And Adam and sin had a relationship before Moses. So whenever, whenever somebody's talking about the law and they're talking about sin, they're not always talking about the Old Testament. Can I get a witness? They're not always talking about the Old Testament. It's anything that God says. Going against anything God says is sin. Anything. When God said, don't eat of that tree, they shouldn't have ate of the tree. God didn't have to write it on tablets of stone. God didn't have to put it in the Ten Commandments, you know. He didn't have to make addendum one and two. It was just, that's what God said. How many of y'all know as parents? That's, you know, I, I said what I said. Don't make me repeat it, right? How many of y'all know? Well, 
when God says something, how much more? When God says don't do it, don't do it. When God says, you know, no drunkard will inherit the kingdom of God, no liar will inherit the kingdom of God. When God says these kinds of things, no adulterer will inherit the kingdom of God. We best not do that stuff. If, if, if those kinds of folks don't inherit the kingdom of God, we have no business involving ourselves in those kinds of things. This is why it's important to understand that when, when we talk about law, sometimes people in the, you know, over on in the New Testament, we think the law doesn't apply to us. And see, it, so, so you have two sides of the spectrum. Some people think the law doesn't apply to you because you're a New Testament Christian. Other people try to condemn you and put you back under the Old Testament. But what I'm trying to show you tonight is you should obey anything God tells you. The Old Testament is what God told Israel. The Old Testament changed to the New Testament when the blood of Jesus was shed. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. You remember that part? That Jesus was talking about the shedding of his blood. It represented the New Testament. The Testament doesn't go into effect until the death of the testator we see in Hebrews. So as New Testament Christians, we're not bound by the Old Testament law, but we're still bound to be obedient to God. This is huge. We're not bound to the Old Testament, but we're bound to anything God tells us to do. And so as New Testament believers, we have a higher degree of walk. This is why whenever Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, he said the word, you know, and uh, Moses said, you shall not commit adultery, right? Should not have your neighbor's wife. But I say unto you, whosoever looks on, on her in lust has committed adultery in his heart. See, the, the Lord took the law from right here and he took it up 10 steps. He made, it, he made the steps way higher in the New Testament because, see, up until that time, they could look but not touch, right? But the Lord is going after the heart. And as New Testament believers, we have to be obedient to what God says to us. And so this is why it's very important to try to uh, nail this down. Now, let's touch on, uh, on, a, on a couple of things about this. Um, let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. I'm going to show you something that Paul says about the law. Now, just in case you have a little bit of a hang-up about the Old Testament and all that kind of stuff and sin, um, you also have, not only do you have Adam sinning in Genesis 3, and we get verification of that by Romans 5, right? The Bible interprets the Bible. Then you also have in Genesis 4, whenever Cain murdered his brother, right before that, God said, sin lies at your door. There you have clear, clear God showing us by the mouth of two or three witnesses, sin was in the world before Moses. So um, just, you know, as a point of reference. Now, as we get over here to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, what we're going to be looking at here is how the law relates to us in the New Testament, how the law relates to us in the New Testament. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let's go down to verse uh, let's start with verse number 19 
So Paul says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. What is he saying here? This is Paul showing you his philosophy of ministry. Okay? This is Paul showing you his philosophy of ministry. If, if, if your favorite kind of music was one style, but there was a group of people over here that was lost, and their favorite kind of music was a different style, he wouldn't go over there and say, that's trash. He, he, he's, he said, you know what? I'm going to do whatever I, whatever I have to do so that I can gain more people. He's showing you in this passage a philosophy of ministry because it's not all about what I like and what I want. It's about God's kingdom. Who cares if I like a certain kind of music or if I like a certain, if I like certain uh, clothes or temperature or paint or whatever? Our opinions of what things are and aren't don't matter. It's about what God's opinions are. And God is striving for souls. And if we're not, what are we doing? We're playing patty cake. While the Titanic's sinking. The Titanic is sinking faster every day. If you don't think so, look at the news. The Titanic that we're on, the world, is sinking. And we should be doing everything in our ability to get as many people as possible onto those lifeboats. We should be warning people that the boat is sinking. Not telling them, well, I don't like your kind of music. I'm not talking to you. I don't, you know, this is, I don't, I don't like that kind of stuff, so I'm not going to mess with them. I'm going to stay in my lane. Well, you know what? God wants to use you to get them out of that lane. If, 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 if we can just kind of put our opinions of our tastes on the side and just be after what God's after, God will use us in profound ways. Watch this again. I'm going to read that verse again, 19. Though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more what is he talking about philosophy of ministry you know what I don't like these kind of people in normal situations but I'm not in a normal situation because I don't live anymore Christ lives in me and I'm going to make myself a servant to everybody oh you need some help I'll help you you need somebody to listen I'll listen you need somebody to go there I'll go there you, you want to talk about sports? Okay, let's do it. And I'll bend that conversation back to the Lord. You want to talk about music? Let's talk about it. But I'll bend that conversation back to the Lord. You want to talk about landscaping? I'll talk about it. But I'm going to bend that conversation back to the Lord. What am I doing? I'm making myself available to all men. Right? Yeah, I'm not saying, oh, I, if you're talking about landscaping, I'm not going to say, I don't want to talk about that. No, I'm going to get in that with you, and I'm going to do all that I can, right, to be a servant to you, to serve you, to minister to you, talk about it with you, and then I'm going to try to use that conversation and bring you to the cross. That's what he's talking about. He's showing you his philosophy of ministry. So sometimes people will say, well, why did, why did Paul, you know, observe a certain feast? You see this in the book of Acts. You'll, if you haven't seen it before, you'll see it at some point in time. But the thing is, he didn't observe all the feasts. You only see record of him observing one. But there's many that he was 14 years in the desert. He didn't observe them then. Because back then, to observe a feast, you had to go to the temple, which 
they have a lot of feast breakers now because there's no temple to go to. But you see, it, 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 whenever you see why Paul, why did he go and observe that feast? He's, he is making himself servant to all those Jews so that he can point those Jews to Jesus. That's exactly what he's doing. That's the model of ministry that the apostle to the Gentiles gives us. That we should, we should be willing to lay aside our opinions, amen, so that we can reach others. So that we can reach others. There's times that we go to Thanksgiving dinners, right, with other members of our, our family that probably don't live holy. Probably don't live holy lives. And that may be the only time we're around them. We shouldn't hold our nose around them. We should win them to Christ. How are we going to win them to Christ if we're not willing to share a meal with them? Amen? And don't tell me all this kind of... The Lord had meals with sinners. He did not yoke himself to sinners. He did not yoke himself to sinners. He didn't walk with sinners. He didn't best friend them. He befriended them. He had a meal with them and offered them hope. He had a meal with them and offered them a better way. He was willing to sit down and listen to them, amen, and offer them the light while they were in darkness. It's completely different than becoming best friends with them, okay? So watch this. Let's continue in this just a little bit further. It says in verse number 20, and, under, and so now you're going to get a, 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 a deeper revelation of what this philosophy of ministry is. He, he's going to break it down for you. Under the Jews, I became as a Jew. Now, hold up. How many of y'all remember Philippians chapter number 3? Didn't Paul say he was the Jew of Jews, Pharisee of Pharisees? Didn't he say all that? Hebrew of Hebrews, Israel. He said all that. What does he say there? He said, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. What's he talking about? It, it, you know what? If they're observing something... I'm not, I'm not going to throw in their face that I'm not doing like them. He said, I'll, I'll go where they go. I'll do what they do, and I'm going to point them to Jesus. I'm going to point them to Jesus. He's talking about the Jews, right? So let's continue this just a little bit more. Under the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. So obviously, he's letting you know that the Jews in general don't have Jesus. They rejected Jesus. He's letting you know that the Jews needed to be saved. He's letting you know, all right, that the people of God, Israel, had rejected their Messiah. And he's letting you know that his first mission was to his kinsmen by the flesh. His first mission. Don't we know that the, the gospel is to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, then to the Greek, then to us? So his first mission was to go to the Jews and be as a Jew. But that obviously means... He wasn't walking around as a Jew anymore. He died to himself. Amen? Didn't he say, he says that in Galatians chapter 2. He said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So all that he was died when he received Christ. And then Christ and everything about him was for the gospel. Okay. That, uh, under the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law to them that are without the law as without the law being not without the law to God but under the law to Christ 
that I might gain them that are without the law. There's a mouthful right there that'll mess up any kind of Pharisee. But this is what he's saying. He, he's saying that when, when some people think that they're under the law, he said, I'm going to go rub shoulders with them. And I'm going to act as if I am, and I'm going to point them to the cross. And then when I'm around people that aren't bound by the law, I'm going to go with them. Whatever, If they're eating pork, I'll eat pork too. If they're doing, if they're, you know, going to church on whatever day, I'm going to go with them. But why? So that I can win them to Christ. He said, I'm going to be as if I don't have a law. But he said, it's not that I don't have a law to God, but I'm under the law of Christ. So this is completely different law. You see the note that there's two different things that he's talking about in these two verses. One is the Old Testament law. This one is a law unto Christ. So there's a completely different thing that we're working in right here watch this in verse number 22 to the weak became i as weak that i might gain the weak i am made all things to all men that i might by all means save some the goal in all that he did was souls everybody that i know everybody that i know whenever i first got saved Everybody, because I was in a younger kind of church, right? Everybody was, I want to know what God's will for my life is. Everybody was prophesying, right? I know what God said for you, and I know what God said for you. Everybody's prophesying to everybody. All, all kids want to know what God's will is for their life. God's desire is that we be soul winners. God's desire is that we be made all things to all men so that we can save some. That's God's will. God's will is that we present ourselves as holy sacrifices to him, living sacrifices to him, holy and acceptable to God. God's desire is that we live holy and that we hunger and thirst for souls, that we desire to save souls. And in order to do that, we've got to get outside of our box. We've got to get outside of our comfort zone. And Paul's letting us know, if, if you know anything about Paul, his whole life, he was a Pharisee. He was a Hebrew. He was a Jew, the tribe of Benjamin. He never did anything outside of that box. But God made him the apostle to the Gentiles. Got him outside the box. If you, if you ever read Acts chapter 10, whenever God sent Peter to the Gentiles, Peter was like, this is weird. I don't understand. This is weird. But the Holy Ghost fell on him, <laughs> right? Why was it weird? Because as, as Jews, they were never accustomed to going into the Gentile areas. They were never accustomed to being around Gentiles. They were called to be set apart. And here Paul's saying, you know what? I'm all things to all men. Complete different philosophy of ministry. He went from, from you know, being secluded, being in his church bubble his whole life, to being a fisher of men. And isn't that what Jesus said? If you follow me, I'll make you a what? Fisher of men. He became a fisher of men overnight when he got saved and filled with the Spirit of God. After, after he got his eyesight back, they baptized him. He got his eyesight back. Sometime in there, he got the Holy Ghost, and he became a soul winner. He hungered for souls. He went to the synagogue when they beat him and stoned him and kicked him out. He went to the Gentiles. And everywhere he went, they either had revival or they beat him down and put him in jail. 
I mean, he caused a ruckus everywhere he went because he was passionate about one thing, souls. And he did whatever he could do to impact somebody's life. And listen, here's some confirmation for you, okay? Whenever you're walking in the Spirit of the Lord, sometimes you're going to be ruffling people's feathers. In fact, you should be ruffling more feathers than you smooth. If you get what I'm saying. You should be going against the grain more than with the grain because God intends for us to get out there in the world and be salt. Now, what good is salt if it stays in the salt shaker? We'd be proud. Our big old pile of salt. And God's desire is that salt go out in the world and work, preserve, amen, purify, sanctify the world. Get out there and say, but we, we get this. That's what churches are. They're salt shakers. We're just storing up a whole bunch of salt in them. Dead salt. Won't go out there and, 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 and intermingle in the world and bring the gospel to souls. Thank God somebody brought the gospel to us. Thank God somebody fought and prayed for our soul. I don't believe there's a one person in the kingdom of God that somebody didn't pray in. Somebody somewhere prayed for you. Somebody somewhere shared the gospel. Somebody somewhere invited you to church. Somebody somewhere planted a seed. Somebody somewhere watered it. And then God brought the harvest. Amen. Then, then night turned into, into the day. Amen. The light came on. Praise God. I saw the light, right? Y'all know that song, right? I saw the light. And, and so one of the things that I want you to see, though, is God never called us to be a salt shaker, right? Because a lot of people think, well, you know, I don't want to get out there, get in the world, be, you know, go against God. All this. God wants you to get out there and intermingle and then come back and get refreshed. Go out there and spread the gospel and come back and get refreshed. That's God's system of working. Whenever Jesus, whenever Jesus, you could see that in the disciples, what did he do? He sent the disciples out. And then he brought them back in. And then he would send them out and bring them back in. And that's how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to go. Most people think their Christian life consists of going to church. That's not it. Your, your Christian life should be going out into the world, winning souls, being a witness unto God. Everywhere you go, people should know, right? You, you should be able to pray with somebody in the supermarket, you know, wherever you are. You shouldn't have church mode on Sunday and every other, right? You should be the same person wherever you're at. And then go out there in the world, be a testimony to God, testify of his gospel, be a light for others, and then, then you go back home, you get refreshed in God's presence, you go to church, you, you love one another, encourage one another, you get the word of God sown in you, you get charged up, then you go back out in the world, and you spread that gospel again. That's God's system of working, and yet... As New Testament Christians in the world today, we completely have it backwards. We, most people think their entirety of their Christian life is summed up in church attendance. And it's not. Church attendance is, is, is where you're supposed to go to get fuel again. It's where you're supposed to go to get recharged again. It's where you're supposed to go to get that refreshing again. And, and the other thing about church is we're called to do it, right? He said, don't. We, you guys that were here the other night, we touched on that. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, right? As the manner of some is, and all the more as the what? 
as the day's approaching. Amen. So one of the things that you see here is that Paul is using the law. Paul is using the law to win souls. Now, this is this one of the reasons why I wanted to show you this is because the law, it wasn't applying to him, but he was using it to reach others. Okay? And that's how we should be one of the one of the main relationships we have with the law. So it's not that as New Testament Christians we are um, antinomian or against the law or without the law. We are under the law. Okay, we are under the law of Christ, not the law of Moses. The law of Christ. What does that mean? Whatever Jesus said. See, as New Testament believers, we are obedient in this covenant this testament to anything that is told to us in it and so one of the things that you'll see is is you know in, in the new testament um you'll see every one of the old testament 10 commandments reiterated except for one how many of y'all know which one of the 10 is not reiterated out of the 10 commandments number four the fourth one um the sabbath okay is not reiterated every other every other commandment adultery uh you shall have no other gods every other one is reiterated but we do have this about the sabbath that jesus is our rest we do have that one and so we see that in hebrews that jesus is our rest so one of the things that i wanted to show you is that whenever you're looking at the old testament law and you're looking at it in the new testament lens not everything completely comes over like um, you're not supposed to touch the cart whenever the ark is being transported. Is that not part of the law? That doesn't apply to us, does it? Because you know what? The ark's not here anymore. We're the temple of God now, right? But there's a spiritual, there's a spiritual truth in it. There's a spiritual truth in it. What is the spiritual truth? What is the spiritual truth? But the spiritual truth is that you're supposed to be sanctified and set apart from the world. You're supposed to live an upright and holy life. That's the spiritual truth. And, and so one of the things that we see is that in everything that God did by the law, he was doing it to teach something spiritually. But there are realistic applications in the New Testament to many things. One of the things um, that I want to show you... Um, if you'll go with me to, uh, let's go to Romans chapter number 8 real quick. Let's go to Romans 8 real quick. I'm going to show you a couple of things here. Let's start with verse number 1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now, how many of y'all know before I, before I continue in, condemnation comes by sin. Sin produces condemnation. This is, this is why Adam went into the trees. He got into sin, and he, it was a condemnation, and so he moved away from God. Whenever somebody, went, uh, one of my pastors, he used to say uh, people would come into church. He said they would uh, blow in, blow up, and blow out he said you know they come in get excited get on fire blow up for god and then they blow right out the door but i've seen that before where people will in, in our church i think god isn't like this but people would get in and they would get excited and the more excited they got they get closer 
in the pews to the front, right? And then they'd start working their way backwards. <laughs> and then once you get to the back, then you start missing every other week. And then once a month. And then, you know, what? but it's systematic, right? It's, it's kind of that, that thing. Whenever things aren't right, we feel that condemnation and we pull back from God. We go from the front to the back. And I think, like I said, I thank God our church isn't like that. <laughs> Some of, you know, but some churches are. Some churches are, it, it, you know, um, and then, and then not only do we move to the back row, then we start absenting ourselves from church, right? And one of the things that you'll see, and I, I saw this whenever I first started preaching, if you, if you get around somebody that's preaching and they're preaching the truth, somebody that's not walking in the truth, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. I remember one of the times we were preaching, and um, one of the one of the people on the worship team they went when worship was going, they were there, but when preaching started, they hit the doors, hit the doors, right? And and so after a while, we, what's going on? Ah, uh, my stomach's hurting, right? My stomach's hurting. Okay, well hopefully you know we'll pray for you. Hopefully everything gets better, but it keeps going on and on and on. Well, you know what was going on was that worship leader was having an adulterous relationship with someone in the church they were in under condemnation because they were in sin right conviction they were moving away from god instead of toward god see god wants us to go toward him but if we allow sin to be in there and condemn us it will move us away from god and that's what that person was doing they didn't want to be around the conviction of the holy spirit they wanted to stay in the bushes with their condemnation and it ended up breaking up a home, a marriage, children. I mean, all kinds of issues. Destroyed that church. It, it, all kinds of stuff goes on. And it's all. And whenever somebody's not walking in the truth, right, they don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear that kind of stuff because it will bring conviction. And see, if, you, if you're content in your sin, you don't, want, you don't want the Lord to convict you. This is one of my favorite quotes from D.L. Moody. You know, he said that um, sin will keep you from the Bible, but, but the Bible will keep you from sin. And, and how true is it that when you know you're in the wrong, you don't open up the Word of God. You don't pray, right? You, but when you're walking right, you want more God. So you get in the Word more. You, get in, you, you begin praying more. Well, it's the same kind of way. That's what condemnation does. Um, so it says there's now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Notice it's a walk. The condemnation is not a part of those that walk in the Spirit that are in Jesus. Not just in Jesus. There's not a period. There's not a period there. It's not just in Jesus. It's those that are in Jesus who walk in the Spirit. This is a, a walk of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit leading you. One of the things I said earlier is that the Holy Spirit is holy. Anytime somebody teaches on the Holy Spirit, they should be teaching you that the Holy Spirit is there to purify and sanctify and consecrate you to God. The whole, anything the Holy Spirit touches is in an effort to bring it into a holy place. If you've got the Holy Spirit and you've got a house, it should be a holy sanctuary to God. If you've got the Holy Spirit and God gives you a car, it should be a sanctuary set-apart car to God. 
if you've, if you've got the Holy Spirit and God gives you anything, it should be holy and dedicated to God. If, everywhere you are should be a place, a sanctuary for the presence of God. You shouldn't have a, 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 a split personality walk with God. God doesn't play that. God sees right through us. And so here it says, there's no condemnation of those that are in Christ who walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. You see, there's a big difference. Every single one of us are either in Christ or not. And additionally, those that are in Christ are either walking in the Spirit or the flesh. Some, some, right? Some are carnal. Carnal Christians. 1 Corinthians 3. That's what Paul said there. Paul said, I want to tell you more, but you're carnal. I can't. You can't. It's like that. You can't handle the truth. I want to give you more truth, but you can't handle it because you're not walking in the Spirit. Everybody wants to go deeper. Everybody wants to know more, but nobody's willing to walk in the Spirit of God. If we're not willing to do the little things for the Lord, why would God allow us to do the big things? You know, and, and, and I'm not a big, I'm, I'm not a big uh, Billy Graham fan because um, you know, the people say he was a Freemason. I don't know. But the thing is, um, God used him either way. God used him to preach the gospel either way. But listen to this. That guy, how many of you know, and there was a, uh, I'll leave that alone. But God used him, okay? God used him. And here's the thing. He did little things right. What am I talking about? One of the things that they call the Billy Graham rule. Mike Pence, vice president, uses it to this day. Never be in the same room with the, with the woman by herself as a married man. Why? Because he just, he, he can't keep his hands off of her? No. The Bible says abstain from even the appearance of evil. There's no question about his integrity in that area. And that's something that he did. That's a little thing, right? But how many of you know if you're, not, if you're not willing to be obedient to God in the little things, God's not going to use you to do the big things? God, God honors faithfulness more than gifting. God, God will honor faithfulness more than gifting. He does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. If you hear the call of God, God will anoint you to do anything he puts before you. How else did Moses, right, get in front of Pharaoh and lead the people of God out? Because God qualified him. Because God qualified him. And anything God gives you to do, somebody asks you to teach a class, somebody asks you to minister to somebody on the street, somebody asks you to do this, do that, whatever, if you'll be obedient to God and do it, God will anoint you to do it. God will give the qualification to you. But he's not going to do it if you're not willing to do the little things and be faithful in the little. Well, that comes in that walk of the Spirit, just being obedient to the Spirit even in the little things. When the Holy Spirit tells you, don't look at that, some of us just got to look. When the Holy Spirit says, don't say that, some of us just, I just got to get this out anyways. You know, there's so many, there, there are more times, and I talk a lot because I preach, right? 
But do you know that there's more times the Holy Spirit tells me to be quiet than to speak? Because there's a lot of things I want to say. There's a there's so many things, so many so many circumstances I've been in in ministry that if people just knew what I knew, right? If you just knew what I knew, if I could just if I could just sit you down for just a little bit and tell you what you don't know, because I've seen it from another side. But the Holy Spirit says, shut your mouth. Let me work. I'm like, but I want to do it. I, I just want to tell them. You get, your, you get people talking about you. See how you feel. And, and the thing is, is that it's a walk that starts with the little things. And if we're not, if we're not willing to be obedient in what God whispers in our ear, why would God trust us in the shouting if he can't trust us in the whisper? In the still small voice, if God says, don't look at that, don't say that, don't go there, turn the channel, turn that radio off, if, if the Lord can't tell us that, if the Lord can't tell us, turn Facebook off, get in the Bible, if we can't be obedient to those kinds of little, why would God use us to be like a Billy Graham? Right? And I'm not saying you got to be like Billy Graham because there's only one of him. He found his calling, walked in it. You got to find yours and walk in it. But you got to walk. And before you run, you got to walk, right? You got to walk in the spirit and not by the flesh. And so that's that this is where th this is New Testament Christianity. See, New Testament Christianity is not the, the do's and the don'ts. It's listen and obey. It's listen and obey in the New Testament. Listen to the Holy Spirit and obey what the Holy Spirit says. It's not just, okay, you checked off this and you checked off that and you checked off this. That, that requires no heart. But if you present yourself as a living sacrifice to God, it requires your heart 24-7. You can't check in and check out. You check in and you throw the key away. You say, God, I'm yours. I'm not checking out anymore. I'm going to present myself to you, a living sacrifice. I'm alive in the flesh, but I'm going to do and go and say everywhere and anything you tell me to go, where, do, and say. This is a completely different, completely different abstract from the Old Testament completely different category of a walk and it's because of the spirit this is, this is because of the spirit and then and we're going to get into the spirit of god in the upcoming weeks we're going to get into you know the baptism of the spirit and 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 waiting on the spirit and these kinds of things but this is how we're supposed to walk as christians and see you can't be pleasing to god if you're walking in the flesh one of the first category errors that we make as Christians is trying to please God without being in the Spirit. You can't please God if you're not in the Spirit. If, if, if you're not walking in the Spirit, there's no way you can please God because the Lord moves through His Spirit. Now watch this. It says in... Um, verse number uh, 1, it said... There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death 
we are told, that law of sin and death, we are told in Romans 5 is the Old Testament. It's the law that came through Moses, the law of sin and death. And we're free from that. We are free from that when the Holy Spirit's in us. When the Holy Spirit's in us and we're walking in that law. What does that mean? That means we're being obedient to the Holy Spirit in every, every, every category. Everything that he asks us to do, we're going to do. That's what he's talking about. Um, so the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, this is one of the reasons why uh, we're called not antinomians. is because it's, we're, an, an antinomian is a fancy word for somebody who is not bound by the law. Okay? Somebody who is not bound by the law. Now, there are Christians who are antinomians. Uh, they call them, uh, we, well, we used to call them sloppy agapes. Um, but they're the ones that are just like, oh, everything's love, 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 grace, grace, grace. You know what? Grace, yes, love, yes, but law also. You know, the, the Lord is both. And so one of the things is this... Uh, the movement's called hyper grace, okay? Hyper grace teaches that you can't, there is no sin in the New Testament. Completely missing the point of why the Holy Spirit came. Completely missing the point of why the Holy Spirit came. A hyper grace person will, um, you know, will teach things like um, it actually is wrong for you to repent. It's actually wrong for you to confess sin to God. They're going to teach these kinds of category errors because they don't believe there, there's any sin. Okay, so one of the things um, one of the things I wanted to show you was this right here because there's it's not that we're antinomian, but we're also not under the Old Testament law. We're bound by the Spirit, and and if you are not bound by the Spirit as a Christian. You're deceived and in error. And I say that with all the love in my heart. You are not free to do anything you want as a Christian. You are bound to be obedient to the Spirit of God. And if you're not listening to the voice of the Lord and, and walking in obedience to His Spirit, you're not being led by God. You're in grave error and you're in danger. The devil is deceiving you, pulling the wool over your eyes. Whoever you're listening to is leading you in error. As a New Testament Christian, you're not free to do whatever you want. You're bound to the Spirit of God. Where the Spirit is, there is liberty. Where the Spirit is, there is liberty. But you're bound to the Spirit. You're bound to the Spirit. There is complete and total freedom in Jesus. But when Jesus says... No drunkard will inherit the kingdom of God. You better believe he, did, he didn't stutter. When he says that no adulterer will enter the kingdom of God, you better believe he didn't stutter. See, the things that he says, he says, he means. Well, the Holy Spirit, you know, came to set us free from all that. No, he came, he came to open your eyes to it. Let me show you something in John chapter 16 real quick. John chapter number 16. The Holy Spirit, right? 
This is whenever Jesus, in John 14, 15, and 16, you get more uh, theology or doctrine about the Holy Spirit than you will anywhere else. John 14, 15, and 16. But yet, it's the main place people don't go. But here you have Jesus telling you who the Holy Spirit is. Okay? One of the things you'll see is Jesus calls the Holy Spirit a he. It's a person. He. Now watch this. How be it? When he. Now he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Did I tell y'all what verse? 13. John 16, verse 13. Y'all looked at me like. All right. Okay, this is our, our, our last verse we're going to get to. It says in verse number 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, who do you think he's talking about there? Who is Jesus talking about? Holy Spirit, and he calls him a what? He. Okay, when he, the, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. He's a truth bomb. He's a truth bomb. He's going to lead you into all truth. And listen to this. For he shall not speak of himself. Do you hear that? You know how many people? Th this is why Paul said that um, he came to preach the gospel, right? Not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. What was the gospel? Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you see what the Holy Spirit he said the, the Spirit won't speak of himself. And always, whenever somebody magnifies the Holy Spirit, it's not the Spirit doing it. Because the Holy Spirit's going to magnify Jesus. And when you magnify Jesus, the Holy Spirit will confirm that word with signs following. Okay? The Holy Spirit will confirm the word. But the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is doing the unctioning, if the Holy Spirit's doing the unctioning, the unctioning's going to talk about Jesus. If the Holy Spirit's doing the illuminating, he's going to illuminate your eyes to Jesus. If he's going to do anything, he's going to point you to the cross. He says he will not speak of himself. He's going to speak of Jesus. Watch this. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. The Holy Spirit's job is to point people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives an empowerment so that you can do it, so that you can live a life that backs up the words of your mouth. The Holy Spirit, when he provides that unction, he will give you the capability to walk because you can't do it in your flesh. He'll give you the ability to live a holy life because you can't do it on your own. He'll give you the ability to be pleasing in God's eyes because you can't do it on your own. He'll give you the power and the ability to live a Christian life. Why? Because he's glorifying Jesus as he does it. You see, as he takes you from, 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 the, from the dungeon from the dunghill, from the pile of rocks, as he takes you from there and he saves you and he breathes new life in you and he gives you the ability to walk on the high places of your life, 
You've always been a this and you've always been a that, but he gives you the ability to break free from every single chain that ever bound you. He gives you the ability to break every bondage that's ever been put on you. He gives you the ability to break every family curse, every generational curse. He gives you the ability to walk in complete and total freedom unto him. He, he, he lifts you up and brings you up. When he does that, and only he can do it, only the Holy Spirit can do it. You can't do it. Only the Holy Spirit can. That's the empowerment of the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't come to give you tingles on your arm. He does sometimes. He, but he comes to empower you. The Spirit is an empowering person. He will empower you to walk on your high places. He will give you the ability to do what you can't. If you can live a Christian life without the Holy Spirit, it's not a Christian life you're living. He will give you that empowerment to walk in a way that pleases God. And when he does, Jesus said, he shall glorify me. All the glory goes to Jesus. When, when, when you study that word glory out, it means to see. To see. He'll show Jesus in you. When other people see your life, they're going to say, I know that's not, that, he, I know he did, he's not doing that on his own because I know that guy. That's God doing something in him. Well, that's the Holy Spirit glorifying Jesus by you living a holy life. Because you don't go where you used to go, it rubs some folks the wrong way. Because you don't laugh at jokes that other people laugh at, it rubs folks the wrong way. Because you don't have to have a drink after work, it rubs folks the wrong way. Because you don't have to light it up like everybody else has to light it up, it rubs folks the wrong way. Because you don't have to lie to get favor with people, it rubs folks the wrong way. You don't have to steal and cheat, it rubs folks. You don't have to gossip and tear everybody else down so that you can feel lifted high, it rubs folks the wrong way. If you will live a holy life, it will glorify Jesus in you. The Holy Spirit will magnify Jesus through your life if you allow him to empower you to live a holy life. And that's New Testament Christianity. That's why it's so important that we be bound to walk by the law of, this, of the Spirit, by the law of Christ, so that others can see Jesus in our lives, so that others can say, wow, look what God is doing in that person. I know Jacob. He was a liar, right? It, We're talking about Jacob from the Old Testament, right? He was a liar, but God got a hold of him. God called him Israel, right? This is a picture of us. You used to be a liar, a cheater, a thief. You used to be all kinds of stuff. I probably wouldn't even want to say from the pulpit, right? We've all been, we've all, that's who we are, but God calls us his. God calls us his, and he calls us out of that life. And he's going to breathe new life in you and place the Spirit of God in you to give you the ability to live that new life. So you don't have to do it on your own. Amen? God doesn't just give you the keys to the car. He puts the gas in it too. He puts the gas in it. 
And so one of the things that we see as we get into this is that the, the need for the Spirit so that we can be and live in obedience to God. We're not against the law. We're at a higher place. And the only way we can live it and walk it is by the empowerment of the Spirit. This is going to lead us into a, a, a deeper thing about the Holy Spirit as we get into this. But it's exciting to know God will empower you. God will give you the ability to do it if you'll let him. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. And, Lord, we pray, Father, for uh, just, Lord, for your anointing to be upon it, God. I pray, Father, that you would just minister to your people, that you would touch our lives, Father. Help us to lean on you. Lord, those of us that maybe are not walking as we should, Lord, we've been walking in the flesh. Father, I pray that you would just... Put this word, God, on the front burner in our heart. Let us not walk away from it, but God, I pray that it would continually uh, just minister and, and till up that, that ground in our heart, that hardness until we be changed completely and forever, Lord. Help us to surrender to your spirit tonight, Lord, to not walk in our flesh anymore. And Lord, I pray that we would be pleasing in your eyes in Jesus' name. And everybody says... <clears throat> 